of the Hop Nation USA podcast, and we're coming to you live from the North Hills Homebrew Festival here at the Syria Shrine. Absolutely. So uh, we must uh, give it a little apology here on the front. If you hear a little bit of background noise, that's why, because we are, in fact, live. That's right. If I didn't do my job right, then you hear a whole crowd of people <laughs> drinking beer and having a good time. But, you know, yeah, that's fine of the point. <laughs> that's not a bad thing whatsoever. Yes. So you already heard me. I'm Steve, and that's Adam. Yes, of course, the other co-host, the one that's running the computer, he's running the knobs. And everything sounds good as far as I can tell. We also have a camera crew, and we'll be filming episodes of Yin's Brewing while we do this. Yes, so uh, we would like to give a quick shout-out to Frank. Frank, our producer, our cameraman, our transport, maybe our legal team. We don't know how well this <laughs> evening's going to go. I don't know if he's past the bar, but, you know, <laughs> we'll give everybody a chance. He might have a briefcase. So with that said... We want to move on and introduce our first guests of the evening. We are at the North Hills Homebrew Festival, so we are talking to representatives of the North Hill Homebrew Festival. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, Brian Llewellyn. Uh, my name's Dennis Rabel. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We thanks appreciate you guys taking precious beer drinking time <laughs> out of your evening uh, you, you, to come talk with us. You are into my drinking time. We I will make it up to you later somehow. <laughs> I have not had one beer yet today. Not one. I mean, we've got a couple in front of us right, right now. Right. That is a bold move. <laughs> but I assume that is, that is the burden you must bear as one of the organizers that of is, such an event. Yes. It's a burden yes. he bears. Yeah. I don't I don't follow that code. <laughs> Well, because we're at the North Hill Homebrew Festival, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to be drinking a lot of beers, not just three throughout the night. Yes. But first, we wanted to start with beers that were actually brewed by Brian. So why don't you introduce your beers for us, and we'll get underway. Um, the first one is called The Dude. It is a white Russian milk stout. Uh, and the second one is a key lime pie cream ale. I oh, actually have the dude already. I picked it up. <laughs> yeah, and, and admittedly, I already heard some rumblings about this beer, and I didn't realize you were the one that brewed this. I am. So, okay, we're double dipping here. Yeah, so uh, your outfit, you actually call Tap That Pittsburgh? Tap That Brewing. Tap That Brewery? Okay. Do, do I have time to go get that? Sure. <laughs> it, it's a rally back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so which one do you want to start with here, Steve? Well, since I already grabbed the uh, the, the dude. Then I, let's, I, it's, yeah, it's a little I can like carbonated. I just kegged it like three days ago. That's quite all right. That's fine. Uh, what was the ABV on this? Uh, 6.8. 6.8. Okay. So, I mean, looking at it, it's definitely a stout right off the bat. Ooh, nothing I'm... nothing super remarkable as far as stouts go because stouts all look the same. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's dark. It's the abyss. Everybody knows that. Yeah. That actually has some Kahlua in it. You say Kahlua? Yes. Oh, okay. So, uh, admittedly, I jumped ahead a little bit and I drank it before we went through the whole process, and I can kind of find that a little bit. Sorry. And I can appreciate... No, don't apologize. Don't apologize. That's that. us jumping a gun. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've already been drinking it. He jumped ahead. But yeah, you can definitely taste it. Yeah, this is a this is a fantastic beer. No yeah, doubt about you. it. Thank you. Yeah, you, it's, it's got that nice little coffee tinge to mm. it. it. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is uh, that's something you can do with home brewing. You can't just pitch alcohol into it. Right. You are outside <laughs> the rules of the PLCB, which is nice. It's nice. You uh, can do it. Because admittedly, because uh, Steve and I entered beers uh, for this competition as well, and my beer is a, a wheat beer that used a, a whiskey tincture. 
So it was a, uh, a maple whiskey with pecans. So uh, I fully understand using alcohol in your beer because we did the same thing. <laughs> we your, did it. <laughs> yours might just be a little bit better. No rules of home brewing. That's right. Yeah. This is a pretty good beer. I'm enjoying it. I think we're going to wait maybe till the end of the segment and we'll do the key lime. Yes. And we'll finish the key lime at, at the end of the segment. Yeah, and that's definitely one that I want to check out. And I, and I believe there is more than one key lime beer here. There is. I this think there's a uh, key lime sour. Yes. Yeah. So I, And I am a huge fan of key lime pie. So I'm in hog heaven right now. I got I got Kahlua beers. I've got key lime beers. I'm good. And I got somebody driving me home, so I'm even better. Hey, that, safety first. That's right. Safety first. Everything's good. So with that said, why don't we get a little more into Brian and Dennis. Uh, why don't you guys tell us about how you started getting involved with the event here and with the Shriners? Well, um, we started this, this is our third year, and we were always looking for some sort of fundraising idea and we would do um comedy nights golf we had golf outings purse batches things like that and i was already home brewing and going to home brewing events i said you know this is this is where it's at it's a really fun event i think we should hop on the bandwagon and do one of our own and our first one was at the german club on the north side went very well second one was at the masonic center in ross township again it grew and here we are this year, and it's grown even more. I must say, this is a, a fantastic facility for this sort of event. A nice nice open-air pavilion, nice and wide. There's plenty of space. Because that's one thing that I've run into at other brew fests is you're packed in. You can't move around. This is a great facility because there's room. You have, you know, you can walk around. You can converse with your friends, and you're not, you know, you don't have people in the way. Uh, and so I really like this facility. I mean, this is, this is top-notch. You know, it's it's funny when we had first came up with this idea, I was wholeheartedly against it. Um, I've been in the beer business professionally for 22 years, and my opinion of home brewers, I'm embarrassed to say, was not that good. And and I'm I'm pleased to say that I was 100% wrong about the skills of the guys that we get to come out here and make the beer for us and. And part of my job is to set up uh, all of the major beer festivals that you have here in the city. And um, what makes this so much different is it's not a drunk fest. It's not trying to race your way through 300 different beers to try and beat your buddies out on who can drink the most <laughs> and hopefully not die. Uh, here you actually get to experience the passion of the brewer how he actually you know can explain to you the heart and soul behind what it is he's brewing and and it's it's a it's it's completely different it's it's actually a really unique experience yes and, and, and we have Penn brewery roped in with us to give away the grand prize is the icing on the cake that sets fantastic. this event apart from all the other home brew festivals mm -hmm. out there and, and there is a, like you said that the home brewers they they brought the ruckus uh, there is such a variety here. There's so many uh, ideas that are being thrown about here that I've never seen, never thought about. But once you see it, you just realize, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? That's a fantastic idea. I had a ghost pepper beer one year that was a really bad idea. I'm just going to say. Uh, it was a really bad idea. That night and the next day. Yeah, oh, it was, yeah, uh, it was, it was yes. undrinkable. Yeah, it's, it's twice bad, twice yeah. bad. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the things people don't give homebrew uh, events credit for a lot is that a lot of time homebrewers on the forefront of trends. You know, like you said, ghost pepper beer, you had that. 
There are, are drinkable ones. I've had some of them, so maybe it's just that brewer that you had it from. But, you know, we're talking about a white Russian imperial stout. That's not too common out there. I think Mindful yeah. has one. Uh, there's also, like, Key Lime Sours. I saw a Moscow Mule Sour out there. Mm-hmm. Like, people are inventive. They're creative. And that's yes. what's different about homebrew events, and that's why they're fun. They're also more for people who are into the brewing culture and, and into beer culture. They're not mm-hmm. for people who like Dennis already said, to run in and get blitzed. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's kind of a change of pace uh, from other beer events where it's everybody's going 10 tenths. It's a good, relaxing Saturday night right now. Right. I'll be honest. This is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful evening. Absolutely. So, uh, Brian, I want to ask you a little bit more. Obviously, you're a brewer. Uh, how long have you been brewing? Um, well, I started making wine probably about 12 years ago and kind of got tired of waiting for it to get ready because it takes about a year and decided eh, let's get into beer and started making kits and that was about i would say eight years ago and it's just been a horrible <laughs> hobby to get into it just Affliction. won't go away <laughs> will it <laughs> yeah it just yeah yeah <laughs> no i get that totally get that you know, actually participating in this event has has made me want to. All right, I, I I'm going to say this, but I can't guarantee I'll follow through with it. But maybe giving me the idea that maybe I want to try starting to make my own beer. Now, you know, unfortunately though, where I work, I buy beer ridiculously cheap, so mm-hmm. it'd be kind of crazy for me to make it when I can buy it for less. But the idea of making your own beer start to finish, I think there's a sense of pride in there. There is. There is. There is. I might want to take a swing at it. Yep, there is. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Uh, just grab some buddies, grab a, a beautiful Saturday at Brian's stuff. He's got a he's right. got a garage full <laughs> that of works too. and the equipment I need. <laughs> yes. Work on Brian's stuff. Yep. He'll let you, you Just know. find a Saturday where he's not home. Just sneak in. Just make it. You'll be fine. Once yeah. you're hooked, though, you'll wind up buying your own. <laughs> yeah. It don't end. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Brian, another question. You've uh, brewed, obviously, some inventive stuff. We were trying it out today. Uh, what is your most inventive or what is your favorite brew that you've uh, put um, out? I've actually only brewed two beers more than once. Halloween, I make a habanero pumpkin stout. Ooh, okay. Um, I don't think anybody's really ever heard of it. I sent it into the Ward of Warts, and everybody that read stuff about it, they're like, I, I had no idea what this beer was going to be. <laughs> and once I drank it, it was like, wow. Not yeah. And, didn't win, but I did score very well. And the other beer I would make more than once is a uh, grapefruit wheat beer. Right okay. on. Other than that, it's all, hey, we'll yeah. see what happens. And What's inspired you? Three <laughs> days before the event, I'm trying it and <laughs> hoping for the best. That, uh, that sounds all too familiar. Yep. Uh, is there any, any any methodology to what beer is going to be next or just whatever strikes you at no, the time? Usually I kind of hear of, for, for the pumpkin beer, for example, I've heard of uh, people in the South actually putting hot peppers in their pumpkin pie. So uh, when I heard that, I said, oh, that would be pretty interesting. So a lot of like dessert type things or something I hear just kind of strikes a bell and right. I go off and running with it. I'm with that. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. I might just also try that pumpkin pie. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's one of the other things I keyed in on Yeah, was just I'm just going to put a bunch of habaneros in a pumpkin pie. Right, you gotta be careful with habaneros, though, and, and, and not tell Especially my girlfriend. Ah, uh, no, we've brewed with Carolina Reaper. We're fine. We're up above habanero. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Habanero's all right with us. All right. Well, 
I want to take some time and go to uh, Brian's Key Lime. Yes, absolutely. We've got this here. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Remind us. Uh, yeah, that's um, a cream ale. That actually, I stole the recipe from um, a cherry vanilla cream beer that I made and used the same base and went with uh, some organic graham cracker, key lime pie juice, and vanilla bean. Right on. I can really taste the graham cracker in that. Oh, I Yeah, that actually didn't come out at first, and now that it's sitting a little bit and up the carbonation, it's coming out a little bit more. Yeah, that, that actually, a lot of the time I've had key lime pie beers, and <laughs> well, they... Uh, Brian, you're like the Martha Stewart of beer over here. <laughs> Just give me some dolies and... <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> Thank you. No, I've, I've had key lime beers in the past, and like they don't always hit the pie part. It's just right. like there's a lot of key lime flavor mm. in it. But I can I can taste the graham cracker in this. It actually tastes like pie. Right, exactly. And yeah. I will be going and getting more. Just so Yeah, you know. we'll definitely be getting more. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, I, I want to thank Dennis and Brian for coming on. Uh, we're going to take a sort of mini break, and we're going to continue the segment with the Shriners and get their, uh, you know, half their side of things. Why would they allow so, so many brewers <laughs> to come into their space? <laughs> well, yes, thank you for uh, coming on the show with us. We greatly appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having us. Uh, we will be drinking more of your beer later on. Yes. Thank we'll you very much. <laughs> Enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Welcome back. We took our short little break, but now we are back with a representative of the Syria Shrine. We are here with Bob Adelman. He is the recorder and post potentate of the Syria Shrine here in Pittsburgh. Thanks for being here. We appreciate being able to have the opportunity to host the North Hills Home Brew Fest. And having a podcast just makes it even more exciting. So we're happy to have you fellas here today. And uh, we'd like to tell your listeners about some of the things that make the Shrine a great organization and that make our philanthropy Shriners Hospitals for Children a worthy cause well worth supporting. Absolutely. Yeah, let's hear about it. So the Shriners organization has been around since 1872. In Pittsburgh, we were founded in 1877. So we are the eighth oldest of the Shriners organizations. Really? And the third largest of the Shriners organizations worldwide. Uh, our local membership numbers just under 4,100. And uh, well, at one time, we had more than 26,000 Shriners in Pittsburgh, but that was a long time ago. Uh, in the days when we operated Syria Mosque in Oakland, which some folks uh, uh, that went to rock concerts in the 70s and 80s and into the early 90s would remember very, very well. It was also the home of the Pittsburgh Symphony from the 1930s until uh, the very early 70s when Heinz Hall opened. So that's just a little bit about the things that we have done in the community. We've been at our current location in Harmer Township since 1994. It was a great move for us to get into the suburbs. Our members found free parking to be a, an easier situation. And we were able to construct this magnificent pavilion that's hosting this event today. We can hold a thousand people in this facility for picnics and other uh, kinds of, of activities. Uh, we will have a wine fest here next weekend, the First Choice Wine Festival. And this is our first opportunity to host the North Hills Home Brew Fest, but we hope to be able to do this again for many years to come. So. Uh, if there are folks who are listening now that have an opportunity to come out, we're very easy to find. We're just uh, we're in between exit 11 and exit 12 on Pennsylvania 28. If you're heading north from the city, you would get off at exit 11, cross Route 910 onto Gulf Lab Road, take that till it ends, and you're at our driveway in the entrance to the festival. 
if you were coming from the, the north and heading south, you'd get off at exit 12, and when you uh, cross back over 28, you'll see a sign that directs you to the Shrine Center, but you'll be making a right turn onto Height Road and continue to follow the signs. Very easy to find, ample free parking here, and we still have tickets available for folks that might want to stop by. Right on. I, I must say that uh, that was one of the things that we talked about in, in our, our previous section, uh, talking about the folks from the, uh, the Brewfest itself, was that this is a fantastic facility for this sort of event. It's nice, it's wide, there's plenty of room. It, there's other Brewfests that we've been to where everybody packed in you can't move uh, but this is the exact opposite of that it's nice it's airy it's got that outdoor feel to it uh, this is this is great this is what a brew fest should feel like right here outdoor and covered is really important for me well, like that's, that's the key too it is outdoors but it is undercover so we are impervious to rain we've had a couple of raindrops here today not much but mm -hmm. when it has rained no one has gotten wet unless right. they wanted to. Right. And that, you're right. That's on them. <laughs> Let me ask you, Bob. You've been around the Brewfest today. Has there been any beers or anything that stuck out to you? Anything that you uh Well, I didn't get a liked? chance to taste very much. Uh, I've been busy working. I did, uh, at the end of the blind tasting, there were some things that were left over. So I did sample a couple of things then. Uh, I didn't get too adventurous at that time. They were cleaning up all around me. So <laughs> I tasted an amber lager. Uh, and I tasted uh, uh, a Pilsner, and uh, then there was a beer that was on the Sours table that was recommended to me, and I was told at the time that it wasn't Sours. It was, it was, it was some, something that was miscategorized on the tables. Tasted like a stout, okay. and it was a little boozy, so I'm guessing it was an imperial stout, <laughs> um, but I quite liked it. And now I'm having a, a crowler, uh, a sample of a, a Mexican light lager, uh, and uh, I forget the name of the brewer right now. His first name is Dan, and the last name begins with a Y. Maybe you know who I'm talking about, but at any rate... This is quite tasty, and uh, so I'm happy to be sampling this. And when I get a, a chance, you can be sure that I will go around and uh, taste some of the wares. Had an opportunity to sample a beer during one of our planning meetings. It was a uh, key lime cream ale. Yes. And I'm not all that big on the fruity things, but I completely understood where this was coming from. All the flavors were there, and it was a pretty good beer. Um, I am a German kid from way back. And so I tend to favor lagers. Uh, I led a group of people over to Munich during Stark Bierzeit in uh, 2014. Uh, and for those that don't speak German, Stark Bierzeit, that's strong beer time. Stark in German translates into strong in English. It refers to a specific type of Lenten beer, Doppelbach, most of us would call it here in the States. Mm -hmm. Alschanks, they call it in uh, Germany. Uh, but this type of beer is very, very malty. Uh, and the strong part refers to it, it makes you strong, like Wonder Bread drilled strong bodies 12 ways. <laughs> it is stronger in terms of alcohol as well, but that's not really where the name comes from. So in the late 1500s, when this style of beer was developed, the monks ate no solid food at all during all of Lent. So they kept themselves sustained by drinking this style of beer. And the original was brewed by Polliner, and it was named Salvatore, savior in latin the brewmaster's name was brother barnabas and to this day they celebrate a 17-day stark beard site strong beer festival in munich it's like oktoberfest but it's all indoors and it's distributed across the six breweries instead of being all in in one fairgrounds it's 
at the individual breweries, but the same bands play, the same atmosphere prevails. It's a great time. And really for somebody who would like to go over and, and experience the, the beer culture in Munich, it's a great time to go without the crowds and, 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 and as many foreigners. So you get a very authentic experience. But this experience here today is about as authentic as you can get because you have so many different styles of beer using American hops, some using imported hops, but we have everything from very hoppy IPAs to some malty lagers, and there are some nice stouts that I've seen. I just wish I'd had an opportunity to taste more of them before we sat down to chat, <laughs> but I will get there, I promise. We uh, we have kind of been the same way where uh, we've been busy, you know, getting things set up and, you know, taking care of business. Uh, we've only had an opportunity to have three or four beers ourselves. Uh, the ones that we have had have been fantastic, uh, but we're in the same boat, so we might have to do a walk around together later on. <laughs> that that works for me. I'll, I'll, I'll join you. <laughs> but so, the, what I, the what we've seen is there is a, a huge variety of flavors, a huge variety of, of styles, and you're going to get that with that homebrew fest uh, because everybody brews what they like, you know, and everybody likes something different. And that's the beautiful thing about the homebrew fest rather than a a regular brew fest where there are a lot of opportunities for breweries to just brew what's hot right now. Sure. You know, uh, but this is a little bit different because this is what, what the brewer likes. For example, Steve, he is an IPA guy. I am not. So uh, the beers that we brought, he brought an IPA. I brought a wheat beer. Uh, you would have probably a lot less So you're variety. pouring today as well? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. We're around. You can find us. <laughs> we'll point you in the direction of our table. Yes. <laughs> I, I have a feeling you might be a bigger fan of what Adam's brought today. Perhaps. Yeah. I, I don't run scared of IBUs. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. Yeah. You try them both, and you, you let us you know you let us know what you like. But uh, I I just want to confirm. We're, move. Moving away from the homebrew just for a second. Sure. You're a fan of the Troganator, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay, that's all I needed to confirm. You, you've been talking about strong German beers and Doppelbox. I was like, yeah. Well, so I, I, I think my favorite from my time in the old country is uh, a, a beer that's, that, and, and there are several that are made there, and I haven't tasted any that I didn't like, but they're brewed at a monastery in a town called Andex. Andex is about 45 kilometers southwest of Munich. Uh, went there on public transportation. The uh, Germans refer to it as the Heilige Berg, the Holy Mountain. Monastery sits up on a hill. It's a Benedictine monastery. They have a small 15-room hotel and a couple of restaurants. They've been brewing beer there for, well, one estimate that I saw indicated that they had begun in 1016. Um, there are debates in Bavaria as to who the oldest brewer is. This is one that makes that claim. Right. Um, they also brew or uh, distill schnapps there, seven kinds of schnapps and uh, six different kinds of beer. Uh, their Doppelbach is wonderful. Uh, they have a full beer, which is very, very nice. Uh, they also make a Dunkel um, uh, Weiss beer. Um, and... Uh, it is available in Pittsburgh. The only place that I know that carries it is uh, East End Beer Distributing. Uh, it was Old Kassenich's okay. uh, down on, in, in, on the north side. Uh, and it is on tap at Titania Manor Corps, the German club on the north side. Okay. Uh, in fact, last weekend, there was a MyFest down at that club, and they did open their doors to the public. They can't do that on a regular basis, but they did last weekend. 
and they topped a uh, keg of Bergbach, which is a Maybach beer uh, brewed by Ondex. Very, very nice. So I like those, but, you know, I, I quite enjoy a West Coast IPA. Uh, I, I like a New England style IPA. Haze doesn't scare me. <laughs> right on, right on. So, um, my beer taste is pretty eclectic, but um, I probably drink more lagers than, than ales. So and that's good to hear. That's good to hear that you enjoy every style, but you know you have your favorites. So sure. Now, now that you've explained that you you're a fan a fan of the old world styles, and you've spent time there, I wonder if you could do a favor for me. There's the big long word representing German Gemütlichkeit. Thank you. <laughs> it's a word I cannot ever pronounce for some reason, but I like to hear it when it can come out right. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is we're going to take that little snippet, and every time we need to use it on the show, That's right, we're just going to insert it in. <laughs> and it's a feeling. It doesn't really translate directly into English, Gemütlichkeit, uh, but it is the, the warm feeling that you have when you are with friends, typically drinking some beer uh, and just having a good time. Uh, some people translate it as to, uh, here's mud in your eye, but it really doesn't translate directly that way. Uh, let the good times roll, but it's not les la bon temps roule. It's, mm. it's, it, it, it really is its own thing that doesn't have a direct English equivalent. But when you feel it, you know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I could probably just talk beer with you all day, Bob. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> the thing that, that struck me most, though, about this festival is the people. Uh, not just the brewers, but the people who have come in and have been sampling their wares here this afternoon and early this evening. It's just a great group of people. We haven't had one speck of trouble. Um, you know, at a venue like this, we host many, many events. We had uh, 500 high schoolers in here last night for a prom from Norwin High School up in our building. Um, and... Uh, there's a wedding in the building this afternoon. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, there's a gun bash that we will be hosting uh, the third Saturday in June. Um, oh, I guess it's actually the fourth Saturday in June this year because June works so early, but it's June 22nd. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that event draws thousands of people, and there's a lot of beer drunk that day. We typically don't run into problems here in general, but this has been a very, very nice and friendly crowd. Mm -hmm. I'd say well-behaved, but that sort of goes without saying. <laughs> but the people are pleasant. They all mm -hmm. seem to be having a good time. And the people who are making these beers are some of the nicest people I've run across. Yes. And that's something that, that I've come across with the Homebrew Fest is the people that are here that are, are on both sides of the table, chances are they've been you know, to the edge and a little bit further, so they know where their limits are, and they know we don't have to go there right now. Right. And that's that's always a nice change of pace from other other beer fests that I've been to where it's ten tents. Don't need to do that here. And so much to taste here today. It's so many different styles that are available. Um, every particular category doesn't run very, very, very deep. But in any category that you can think of, we do have entries here today. Mm -hmm. And there are several in most of those categories, and a lot in some of that. I looked at the table for sour beers, <laughs> and uh, that was pretty heavy. Yeah, sour is a hot thing right now. So it is out. indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, Bob, I want to thank you again for having us out to this event. 
Yes. Uh, I want to thank you for hosting it. I want to thank you for giving homebrewers a space to, you know, show off their wares as we've been talking. And we thank you for the opportunity to get the word out to your listeners. Absolutely. And we hope you'd make your plans to be here next year. The tentative date is May 9th next year, 2020. Okay. So it's the same weekend. It'll be the day before Mother's Day next year, right here at the Pavilion at Sirius Shrine Center for the fourth annual North Hills Homebrew Fest. And we will be here in some capacity. If we didn't do everything digitally, I would pencil it in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look again, forward Bob. to seeing you again, yeah. and we'll look forward to hosting this event again. Awesome. We Thanks will see again, you there. gentlemen. Thank you, Bob. And uh, we're going to take a, a quick break. We will be back for segment two here on the Hop Nation USA podcast. Live from the North Hills Homebrew Fest. First Sip Brew Box is a one-of-a-kind subscription service for craft beer lovers based right here in Pittsburgh. Every month, First Sip will send you a box full of craft beer enthusiast essentials, including t-shirts, glassware, and even food. Right now, our friends at First Sip Brew Box have an offer for you. Just sign up for a three-month subscription and get your fourth month free. Just enter the code HOPUSA when you sign up at FirstSipBrewBox.com. That's H-O-P-U-S-A at checkout to get your fourth month free at FirstSipBrewBox.com. Welcome back to episode 107 of the Hop Nation USA podcast. We're still here live at the North Hills Homebrew Festival at Deseria Shrine. We are joined by a new guest, but before we get to our new guest, we have new beers. Yes, we do. We have new beers uh, that we're going to drink. Uh, this beer that I have here in front of me is uh, actually a little bit different from what you would expect if you've listened to the show previously. Uh, this is actually a New England IPA. Uh, this is a beer that was recommended to me by a, a fellow participant, a friend of mine. Uh, he said... Uh, Go grab this one. This is a good one to go try. So this is, I believe, the Hot Buster uh, by one of our fellow homebrewers. Uh, I got to tell you, it's pretty good. I like it. And I'm drinking uh, something from a real friend, Tom Wagner. A real friend? real friend. I mean, you just kind of know the person who brewed that. I No, I, but I know who recommended it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but Tom Wagner, friend of the show. You yes. You can see him on episodes of Yin's Brewing on MCA TV. Uh, but I'm drinking his key lime pie. I had Ale. that beer earlier. Yeah, boy, oh boy, it's a. It, I mean, I'm drink. That's two key lime pie beers this uh, this uh, episode because yes. we had one from Brian in the first segment. Yes. But now we have. I have this one from Tom, and you know they're in a tight race with each other. And they both have made fantastic beers. That's for sure. Indeed. So, so Brendan, I see that you've got uh, something in your glass. Do you have any idea what you're drinking right now? Well, it turns out it's a number nine. I don't know what number nine is, and I figured you were going to ask, so I just had to take a sip. And what I have to say is it's just an outstanding beer. It's um, a, a light lager. I'd probably describe it as a, um, a pretty much a, an American lager-style beer. And I have not had a bad beer here at all today. It's been phenomenal. Everything I've... And it goes from the unexpected, like a white stout, which is just amazing how you have a clear white stout, no color, all the stout flavor, to you name it, ginger beers and everything in between. And nothing's been uh, over the top in your face. It's just been delicious, all around mm -hmm. delicious beer. That new voice that you've heard is uh, from Brendan, and he joins us from CNC Malt which is a craft molster out of Butler, PA. You may have heard us mention them in previous episodes. I know Abjuration brought them up 
on a hundred uh, episode hundred. So, Brendan, why don't you introduce us and tell us everything that you do at CNC Malt? Well, I guess the the main thing we do is a lot of shoveling <laughs> and uh, shovel, shovel, shovel. So malt is uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a soul of beer, and it really is. It's alive. It's breathing. It smells different whether it's happy or not so it's all about smell taste and feel so there's kind of three processes to malting the first is steeping and if you ever remember being a little kid growing tomato plants with your grandma you take your seeds and soak them in water in a teacup for about a day or so then you spread them out on a paper towel get them to grow then you put them in the ground well we kind of do the same thing except for we don't put them in the ground we soak grains in water, get them to hydrate, then we spread them out on the concrete floor, get them to start sprouting, and then instead of growing, we want to preserve all the starches and sugar and alcohol potential for the brewer, so we kiln it. So we dry it out with some heat, and that pretty much stops everything, preserves it, and that gives a, a good package, a little product for the brewers to make beer with. So right that's on. kind of the short of what we do. Right on. So I, I got to ask, uh, when, you, when you have gotten into, into the beer business, you've kind of gotten in on, on the front end. Uh, typically, there's a lot of folks that get in on, on the back end, whether it's the, the brewing, the marketing, you know, opening a, a tap house, things like that. How did you get involved on the malt side of things to get down into the, the building blocks of beer? How did you get started on that? Uh, there was an aha moment for me. So I had um, a very lucrative job, oil and gas, and I decided to leave that because I couldn't really remember what my kids looked like. I was on the road all the time, and I had to move back to Colorado. I chose not to make that move. And um, I have been homebrewing since I've been about 14. And um, obviously, that's before you could drink. Right. So um, <laughs> it, it's just been a passion of mine, and uh, beer, that is. And I have a lot of brewing equipment. I was searching for the final piece, which was a mill. I've been searching for a mill for until yesterday. Not yesterday. Three days ago, I got my first mill, okay. real mill, real mill, like a five-horse mill. Oh, okay. We're talking right. some some right, real right. stuff here. So uh, while searching for a mill, I came across some malting equipment, and I said, oh, that'd be cool. I could brew, malt my own malt and brew beer, and that'll give me some more levers and knobs and dials <laughs> I could play with, kind of fine-tune the flavors I want. Give them a, a little more to the story, a reason for people to come visit my brewery. And I thought, well, I need to try some Pennsylvania malt in the meantime. So I started searching for Pennsylvania malt, and at that point in time, there was not a single maltster in Pennsylvania. So I said, aha, I'll make malt. <laughs> I could visit all the breweries, taste all the beer, go home at the end of the day. Little I know, you don't go home at the end of the day. You go back to the malt house and shovel malt some more. <laughs> So uh, that that's how I got down the road, but I, I, I love it. It's um, something I never would have thought of at 14 when I was uh, growing my own hops, culture, my own yeast, and doing everything but malting. It just uh, seemed that malt was cheap enough and abundant enough. I didn't have to mess with it. So uh, I'm glad I went that route because it, it really is... Uh, a very unique aspect of brewing that's very much overlooked these days with hops being the very sexy ingredient malt is kind of in the background but plays such a strong strong role it's um i, I like to think that that malt is kind of the foundation of beer you know that that you know helps to build things up because obviously without the malt you're not going to have the hop you know it's not going to do anything for you so it 
explain uh, how how big is your operation? Uh, do you or on the grain side of things? Do you grow the grains as well? Do you have it brought in to start the molting process? How does that work? So yeah, there's a few questions there. So as far as our operation side, we're currently malting on a pilot scale only. So we do about 200 pounds a batch, but we uh, we steep, germ, and kiln separately as they're three separate processes. So that puts us about 1,400 pounds a week. So we're always rolling the process along. Um, we are scaling up to a five-ton system, so that'll give us the ability to do five tons a day. So that's quite a bit more capacity. As far as the uh, agronomics of it all, we don't farm ourselves. We have uh, the ability to play around a little with some heirloom varieties. So it's very interesting. You could get any variety you like from a seed bank and plant a handful of seeds in your backyard mm -hmm. and then harvest those seeds, send back to your five grams to the seed bank. And you do it again and again and again until you have enough to plant. And so we're, we're tinkering with playing around with that idea to take back some flavors that have been lost to time. But for the most part, we work with uh, farmers and we'll specify varieties, malting varieties for them to plant. Um, malting is very, malting barley is a new crop to the farms in the area. But it's a very advantageous crop because they could uh, double crop, meaning they could do a fall and spring planting. And so they get two crops off the ground in one season. So they could do oats and barley, oats and um, beans, whatever it is they're growing. It's good for the farmers. But we'll, we'll uh, explain to them the challenges, uh, what we need to make good malt for good beer and kind of give them some advice but let them run their program mm -hmm. as they see fit right on so is is cnc more on the commercial side or is it more on the on the homebrew side uh, which side do you see more uh so a bit of both but mostly uh professional brewers okay so um homebrewers we we uh we love homebrewers and it's the ultimate experiment area so they um they're very um excited about using the product and they will try new things and we could uh, we could try new things too mm -hmm. and it's the ultimate one-off they could take it and brew a batch of beer and it's kind of a thumbs up thumbs down whether it they like it or not right doesn't mean the general public <laughs> likes it or not but um so that that brings up a, a follow-up question of are you seeing any trends uh, on the malt side, is there something that, because you're obviously on, on the cutting edge because you're one of the building blocks. Is there anything that you're seeing that, that breweries are starting to, to get into or revisit uh, in, in these times? Is there something new or something that's, what's going on? That's, so, that's the question. What's going on? I'd say there's the obvious that um, hazy IPAs and oats supporting the hazy IPAs, given some backbone, and uh, some flavors that would be mistaken for hops actually come from oats. So some really? floral kind of flavors. Oats really do a lot. Um, they're, they're quite an interesting grain, and, and I like them a lot. They're light and easy to shovel. <laughs> they're, they're a good thing. Everybody wins with those. Right, right. right. So, uh, of course, hazy IPAs aren't really a surprise. But what I would say, I really think lighter beers, Kolsch's and Pilsner's, Lagers, 
I think are seeing a resurgence. And it's really hard to put your thumb on it, but um, put it this way. I remember when I was homebrewing, probably at 18, I had a good hop crop. Okay. And I hopped a beer so much that it wouldn't ferment. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, it was over hop. (laughs) And I feel like... We've kind of done that as a society. We backed off a little. And you're seeing that with the hazy, juicy New England IPAs. We kind of, we're starting to appreciate the floral aspects of subtleties rather than the in-your-face, punch-in-the-nose hops. And after all that, though, you kind of settle back onto a good, uh, very drinkable kind of beer. Okay. And I'm seeing a lot of breweries head that way. And as I look across the table, all three of us have light-colored beers anyway. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Different styles, but like other, yeah. Different styles, yeah. But uh, very light, very drinkable beers. So, right on. That's key. I guess the last thing on the what's new and exciting would be heirloom varieties. Okay. So, old is new, and people love spelts, they love einkorn, they love stuff that um, may or may not malt well. So, <laughs> einkorn <laughs> is a horrible one, spelts are awesome. <laughs> spelts. Spelts are really, really awesome in in the beers. It's amazing the uh, melon kind of flavors and stuff that come out of those heirloom varieties. Right on. So I, I got a two part question. I got a two part question for you. Uh, obviously, you said you're a home brewer, and now you're doing malts. So what is your favorite malt that you've been producing at CNC? What is your favorite beer that you've made with that? And just kind of give an idea to the audience what they should be looking to come to you for. Well, I haven't had a time to brew since I had kids. (laughs) We make other liquors, uh, ciders and such. But uh, as far as brewing, it's a full day, especially all grain and especially if you're um, malting it first. But our favorite malt uh, came out of necessity. It's a brew malt, so a melanoid and honey malt kind of malt. And uh, I hate to call it a honey malt because I, I don't really like sweetened beers. But um, what happened, we had a power failure. If you remember back in October, November, we had that huge ice storm. Knocked yep. out the power yeah. for about a week. Yep. I just loaded the kiln when the power went out. Slept there all night. It came on 2 in the morning enough to cool it down a little because stuff really heats up in the kiln if it doesn't have airflow. So we sealed, we dumped it out of the kiln, sealed it up. And then you have a huge temperature spike. You get up to about 150 degrees. That makes sugars and stuff inside the the grain. So you could actually mash inside the grain of barley versus mashing in a mash tune. Mm -hmm. So essentially we mashed in the grain, then uh, oxygen was depleted and it crashed. And so you have some sweetness, but then you have some uh, anaerobic activities take over and you have some sour. So it's like a sweet and sour kind of malt. And it is just phenomenal. I could eat that all day. I haven't, <laughs> I, I haven't brewed with it. There's uh, several beers out there with the brew malt in it, and they are all good, phenomenal. I'd like to see more of it in there. So I'd say brew malt's my favorite malt. And so I really can't rightly answer the question is, what's my favorite brew? Because I haven't brewed. So. <laughs> right on. Okay, so maybe what was your favorite brew when you were still brewing? Ooh, uh, well, that goes back, um, probably it goes back to what I passed out today was an under-modified Pilsner for everyone to make a true 
Czech Pilsner uh, True Bohemian Lager with. And I remember getting, when St. Pat's out of Texas, when they weren't assholes, like, can we say assholes? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. That's fine. Yeah, so yeah. when they, before they got their uh, head in the clouds, they used to sell to everybody. And I remember getting uh, Budvar malt from Budvar, Czechoslovakia. It was an uh, under-modified malt, and that was back in the 90s. And you could buy it at a semi-reasonable price then. And making a uh, a good good is a decoction mash you had to do is good Czech Pilsner, and that was probably one of the better beers I ever made. And next to that would be a coffee stop, but the story's not as cool on that one. So <laughs> it, it, it ended up sour. So sour, maybe it'd be cool these days. It's sour <laughs> That's coffee right. stop. You just got to wait for the right trend That's to right. come by. That's right. Then you pounce. So I. Are there any local breweries that, that use your malt? Uh, where could we find uh, your malt in action? So um, here as we get closer to Pittsburgh, um, we have uh, four points south of the city. Butler Brew Works north of the city, so we're kind of surrounded there. Those are the two breweries that pretty much use us consistently. Um, there's a good 20 or 30 breweries that will use us uh, off and on. Um, so usually around harvest time, it's almost easy to find us um, because people want to do an all PA beer. So mm-hmm. Spoonwood's done a very nice um, uh, American lager. Um, Couch Brewer's done a, a few nice. Um, the... Um, Good folks at Insurrection did a, a really neat uh, deal with our spelt. Um, man, we had problems with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, they worked through it, and we worked through it. And uh, so hopefully, when we get the spelt dehold, we'll have that uh, key unlocked. Nice. We are an international podcast. Anybody outside of PA that uh, really comes to mind. We do a lot of contract malting for farmers in Ohio. So they'll bring us our grain and they go and market under their own label. Um, In Montana, we did a really fun, fun project with Madison River Brewing. And it was a smoke porter where we um, we did some applewood smoked on uh, on our malt. So our trees are old, old growth apple trees. We say they're planted by Johnny Appleseed. Whether that's true or not, who knows? But um, it, it was a fun. It was an applewood rye smoke porter, and man, that beer was delicious. Nice, awesome, nice. awesome. Uh, so I, the other thing I know about CNC is that you guys are part of the Craft Malters Guild. And uh, can you talk talk a little bit about what that is and, like, how you came to be a part of it and what that guild does for you? Oh, the guild has been a tremendous resource for us. It's a great, great group. Um, so they have all sorts of resources for aspiring maltsters. It's, uh, it's online, craftmaltstersguild.com, I'd imagine it's the website. But, um, <laughs> that sounds about right. The way we got involved, we went up to uh, Headley, Massachusetts, and up there there's Valley Malting. And they were one of the first two, three malt houses in the U.S. And um, Christian Stanley and, and his wife, they started the uh, the malt house and really gave us a lot of good advice and got us started in malting. They've uh, since turned over the, the guild to uh, management by a board of directors, uh, and they're doing a fine job with it. But there's it's a tremendous resource for anyone re- interested in malting. As well, I'd like to point out there's um, uh, a gentleman who puts on... I don't know if it'd be a podcast or what it'd be, but it's called Brewing the Hard Way. It's a good uh, resource to look up. 
about malting if you want to try malting in your backyard in the kitchen and um, I really recommend anyone who's interested in malt to do so okay. because it really allows you to unlock a lot of flavors and gives you a, a whole another element of control that you don't have otherwise in brewing. Nice. And, and I guess um, along that line, if um, we look back historically, you would have never had a brewery without a malt house pre-prohibition, or at least a malt house close by. Mm -hmm. They were two aspects of the industry that were married. And then uh, post-prohibition, things got all kinds of quirky and uh, (laughs) topsy-turvy and industrialized. So when I started this business, there was probably about 30 malt houses in the world. Now there's well over 100 craft malt houses in the U.S. alone. Wow let alone the world. So it's, it's a very fast-growing segment of the industry, mm-hmm. and it's uh, really unlocking a lot of doors and flavor potentials for brewers worldwide. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, especially because, again, you're a local business, and I know a lot of the small breweries, obviously, they're local businesses. They like supporting local business. So now that they have somebody on the front end to give to them, you know, give them ingredients, they want to support them. Right. You're just the same they would with a hop farm like Sorgles. Right. A small business supports small business. That's all Absolutely. there is to it. And it's a beautiful thing. I just want to give you another chance, Brendan, just to get your word out, like anything coming up that you want to talk about, a website, how people can find you. Can they just come right up to Butler? Can they stop at your doorstop and just start picking up malt? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm an old-fashioned kind of person. If you give me a call or knock on the door, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. My, my wife's taken over the uh, social media aspect of it and done a phenomenal job. I hadn't been on Facebook since 2004. I had to uh, kind of figure out how to get on there again and just give her the password pretty much. You're but, one of the uh, smart ones. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, uh, we do post pictures on social media and all that good stuff to kind of show you what we're up to. Um but the best really is uh, give me a call and stop up and just come smell it because, man, it smells good walking through the place. <laughs> hey, your website is just cncmalt.com? Yes, sir. You got it. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to give you a phone call, stop in, and smell some things. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> I know we also got a bag of that uh, unmodified uh, Pilsner. Yes. Salt, so and- we'll try to brew it. We'll see. If we we're not decoction brewers, we're very lazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> but true. We'll, we'll try true. it out for once, and then uh, well, you gotta tell do you how it, it goes. <laughs> that was intentional. Make you all work. Appreciate <laughs> uh, appreciate a well modified malt. So fair. That's uh, fair. more steps. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Brendan, thank you for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we're probably gonna talk a little bit more once we shut down the operation. Uh, so uh, we'll be right back with the third segment of Hop Nation USA uh, live at the North Hills Homebrew Fest. We'll be back. I'm Don Wrinkle, and everybody's got a podcast. And if you're going to listen to one, Import Taste is the way to go, because it's very greasy. This is Bill Lawyerson to tell you that Import Taste 
is the podcast you should listen to if you want to get sued. I'm Big Jim, here to say if you listen to In Poor Taste, huh? Guess we'll give you a Christmas handy. It's In Poor Taste. It's definitely not a comedy podcast. And it's definitely not educational. And it's definitely Australian. Stop, Stop asking. asking! Hello, I'm a Giorgio Casadoro, and this is my brother. Fativa. Come on down, In Poor Taste, we we take you in back and polish your jewels. That's us. South Hills, Pittsburgh. Born race. Listen to Import Taste on the Podsberg Network, www.podsberg.com slash Taste for all of your edutainmentional podcast needs. If you guys sit there, we'll put. Welcome back to episode 107 of the Hop Nation USA podcast. We're here, segment three. We're still live at the North Hills Homebrew Fest at the Syria Shrine. And now it's time we actually talk to some brewers. <laughs> We've been talking to a lot of people all day. It's time we actually talk to some brewers. Right now we're joined by Jake and Josh. They're both homebrewers, but I'm going to get them time to actually explain more about their brewing operations because they're from different brewing operations and the beers that they brought with them today. Yes. So, Jake, why don't you start us off, introduce yourself, what kind of beers have you brought, and the name of your brewery. Uh, yes, my name is Jacob Pyle. Uh, I'm coming from Wellsburg, West Virginia, about uh, 15 minutes north of Wheeling. And I brought with me today uh, Papal Maple, which is a dark amber maple beer uh, brewed with sourced, uh, locally sourced uh, maple syrup, maple sugar, and then uh, aged on bourbon-soaked vanilla beans. And then also Totes Magotes, my French Saison, which was brewed with heather, chamomile, and hibiscus. And then uh, the brewery we have is uh, Critical Mash Brewing. Right on. And Josh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, Josh Wilhelm, uh, Creekside Craft Beers. Uh, brew with uh, my buddy Sam. Uh, we brought six beers here tonight. Holy so shit. we have uh, yeah. two. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got two kettle sours. One is a uh, kettle soured uh, New England IPA, uh, brew with Citra Hops, our Anaconda Sniper line. Um, we got our juice box generation line that we have. Uh, this version is made with uh, blueberry and peach, uh, fruited lactose sour uh, style beer. Um, we brought a uh, our house New England uh, pale ale called Mosaic Waters. This version we did with Galaxy Hops, so little mosaic, little galaxy. Um, we brought uh, our Pilsner line. We call Volk beer. Um, this version of that is made with Eureka hops, so little. Uh, Twist on the German uh, Pilsner with American hops kind of thing. Uh, we brought uh, Vernal Obliterator, uh, so it's a Maybach. Um, and then we brought Alternate Endings, which is our alt beer. Right on. So I guess I just wanted to start asking you guys questions about, like, how long have both of you been brewing? So I have been at it. This is Josh from Creekside. I've been at it for uh, about 10 or 12 years. And I've been going about seven years myself. Awesome. Okay. I can well, I can tell you, I can vouch for both of them. Yeah, <laughs> because, I, I, absolutely. <laughs> so right now, I'm drinking the Papal Maple. Yes. Uh, that's a fantastic beer. That's got a lot of maple flavor in it. It's excellent. Yes. I'm loving it. Absolutely. I had that earlier in the show. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that you uh, got that beer. Yeah. Because I said you need to go get this. Right. Beer. Exactly. It was Adam's <laughs> suggestion. Uh, but I also had the Anaconda Sniper from Creekside. I have not had that one yet. I don't know how much you like it because it does have a good bit of hoppiness to it. So they also have a good sour series, which I might go over and grab some of those. Yeah. So it's worth it. I, I Josh was telling me before we got on mic, though, that uh, we actually have had some of their beers before already. Not really? you, but oh. me. Oh, okay. How so? <laughs> I guess when I guess when I said me, it was uh, me and Dennis. Oh, but, okay. But I'll let, I'll, I'll let Josh tell them. <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, last June at the first annual uh, Oakmont uh, Yacht Club Beer Fest, uh, Sam and I uh, picked up the uh, Brewer for a Day Award, the Grand Prize Award, with uh, and brewed with Hot Farm. Uh, so um, as part of that, we we our beer won. It was the uh, Smoked Sour, so the uh, the Bandit, Lichtenhainer, and actually a keg of it made it to the... Uh, Pittsburgh Beer Fest down at the convention center. You are the ones that made that. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so it was a collaboration <laughs> with Hop Farm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I heard about that beer. Yeah. And I was super jealous that I didn't get to drink it. I did not know that. That is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll have to whip up another batch and make sure you get some of it. I am totally down for that. You just let me know when and where. Adam's own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, so, Jake, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. We've noticed, and we've been talking a lot about it on the show, because we also try beers from all over the 50 states. We try to try beers from everywhere. But we noticed West Virginia is a little lacking as craft brewers. Is your goal to open a brewery on your own or add to that? Because I think there's only like 32 craft breweries in West Virginia right now. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, the market in West Virginia is definitely lacking. Uh, it hasn't quite caught on. You know, we're, we're definitely a blue-collar state. Uh, people love their $2 pints and their, uh, <laughs> you know, their, their I'm going to get blitz on game night days. Uh, but that's definitely changing. we got a lot of, you know, a lot of great excitement happening. You have, um, you have Greenbrier Brewing. You have um, Berkeley Springs Brewing, which has a lot of great beer out of there. Uh, and just overall, I mean, it's, it's starting to grow, but it's going to take some time. You know, we're, we're a little bit behind on everybody else. But with the markets in Pittsburgh here growing as, fa as fast as they are and Columbus growing as quickly as it is, it's only a matter of time before West Virginia starts. I personally got my buzz uh, from brewing when I lived out in Washington near Seattle. Uh, right, in fact, okay. if you weren't home brewing out there, you're in the minority. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit different. Um, and that's where I got it from. And that's I, I brought it back with me. And I'm just trying to spread it as fast as I can and as much as I can to everybody else. As far well, as you're doing good work brewery, so far, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. thank you. It's uh, but you know, as far as opening a brewery, it's I would love to. There's nothing more than I would I would love to do than than have my own brewery and, and run my own place. It's a little bit scary in this market right now, and as we've talked about, uh, West Virginia is uh, is kind of smaller, so there's a lot of opportunity. I just don't know if the market's right just now. Uh, and everyone keeps talking about the craft beer, or, uh, the, the burst of the bubble, which I don't quite see happening as long as we keep producing great beer. But it's just a matter of waiting for the time to be right in West Virginia before we go ahead and open something up. Right now, I'm just having a lot of fun uh, making great beer and giving it away to as many people as I possibly can. And just, uh, you know, even though I don't own a brewery, it's still nice introducing people to good beer and teach them there's something else out there. Josh, do you have similar goals? Yeah, I mean, we've we've obviously uh, we we've talked about it and dreamt about it. I mean, I think the first time you make a beer that you have and you're like, holy crap! Like, I would pay money for that beer. <laughs> you're like, shit! I could do this for real. And I mean, it's it's a balance between you know life and and like he said the the market. I mean, I'm with him. I don't think the the bubble bursts if you're a, if you're a small town brewer. I mean, I think if you try to go outside of your local town uh, maybe things get a little more difficult for you if you try to go big in scale but um yeah i mean i don't think we have any serious aspirations we're certainly not um buying property or anything like that at this point but it still remains a it still remains a dream for sure absolutely and if you guys keep brewing beers the way you do i 
I'm waiting for the day you guys both open up your own respective breweries. That's all there is to it. Uh, you guys make some damn fine beer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That. Yeah. Period. Yeah, I, and I think both Adam and I would agree when, you know, you guys are saying, like, the bubble's not going to burst. I, I think we agree with the same thing, is that we're only seeing large-scale breweries yes. right now that are super affected by it, and they have to scale back. They can't be shipping to all 50 mm -hmm. states. But everybody who's hyper-local, they're thriving. They're, yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're either... They're either uh, you know, doing okay, or you have you know the uh, the combating of the uh, the the big companies, if you will, with the recent merger of uh, Dogfish Head and uh, Sam Adams, right? I mean, that, right. they're they're putting their chips on the table, going all in against yeah. the big guys to keep themselves competitive and bring mm -hmm. that scale up a little bit. So, I mean, I think that's really what you'll see. I don't know that it'll necessarily be a, a bubble burst. I think as long as you make good beer. Um, and you and you focus on the people that got you to where you're at. I, I think you'll be okay, but um, uh, you know if the beer's mediocre, yeah, you're probably going to see those people fade out as yeah. the time goes right. on for sure. Th that's yeah. something where the, the the customer will be right because they're just not going to go there anymore. Right, and you're just you're just going to shut down. But if you have good beer, the people will come, and they will generate that buzz, and you'll be able to you know to gain that traction that you'll need. And that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good thing, especially considering how uh, inventive and creative everybody is being in the market. You know, whether you're a craft brewer or a home brewer. So, yeah, I think that inventiveness and creativity is important. So, we've already talked about how creative some of the beers you guys have brought today. Uh, what's the most creative brew that you would say that you've uh, brewed though? Or do you have a batch that maybe you pushed the limit too far? <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've pushed the limit too far. I mean. I've never had to dump a beer, thankfully. Uh, if there would, I'd definitely knock on it. Um, thankfully, I haven't had to dump a beer yet. I've definitely pushed some limits. Uh, in fact, my very first competition just happened to be this last um, National Homebrew competition. And I did a Saison, and I normally do, but I went a little bit further. So I did a Belgian Saison, and I put uh, rosemary, sage, and thyme in it with some lemon zest. And that used to be a kind of a crowd pleaser, but I wasn't quite happy with that. So I even went further this time, and I, uh, after it fully matured, and you deal with the whole Belgian saison uh, yeast yeast problem as far as bringing up the temp and pulling down the temp, uh, I went as far as to put it on Brett for about a year and a half, uh, let it soak on that, but also put it on Capsav uh, Oak, mm. and see how that turned out. And it was a very complicated flavor. There was a lot of flavor, a lot of. Um, I'd love to say complexity. That's kind of a buzzword, obviously, among craft <laughs> brew, and everybody wants to say their beer is complex. Um, it was almost, and even some of the feedback I got to it back, uh, was almost convoluted because there were so many different flavors. Thankfully, it, it worked for the most part. Uh, I ended up doing pretty good in the competition, no gold medal, obviously. But um, but it, for my first competition, I was pretty pretty content with where I ended up. and. Uh, but a lot went on with that beer. You know, a lot of different things. I have uh, about eight different grains in that. Of course, like I said, uh, four different herbs and uh, and fruits in there. And then, of course, the bread and the oak. So a lot went into it. And whereas I really enjoyed doing it to make that regularly, especially with a year and a half maturity period, uh, you know, it, it gets to be a little bit too much and you really enjoy the simplistic beers. Right on. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, your questions, it's, it's very complex and it's tough to answer. I mean, creativity comes in multiple different ways of thinking of things, right? I mean, to me, the creativity is is reading the crowd, reading the, the, the judging group and trying to make things that 
you think are going to be well received at a at a competition and and in the market, right? So we we try to uh, simplify our beers. When we get creative, we try to keep things simple, not get too complex with the things we do. I mean, we make the kettle sours and we add the fruit, but we're keeping those beers simple at their core so that they can be adapted and and altered to meet the the market we're serving whether it be for example the oakmont beer fest we selected that smoked sour knowing hop farm was going to be the brewery that was judging and knowing those guys well enough just from going in there well played yeah to to, to know that this was in their wheelhouse right if if there was a beer of ours that they were going to pick this one was going to stand out so to me that's where i see the creativity in brewing all right so i got one last question for you guys and uh, i just want to know when you're not brewing what are you drinking Local craft, generally. If I'm not brewing my, if I'm not drinking my own homebrew, I'm drinking probably, honestly, Hitchhiker's probably uh, the most most frequented brewery by me. Right on. Uh, usually something local, something different. You know, that's the biggest thing. Is that there's so many beers out there, and got to try them all. Well, go ahead and uh, give yourselves a plug for wherever people can find you next. You know, if you guys have events coming up, or you know, just a place that you're going to be serving beer maybe yeah so i can be found on facebook under critical or if you look uh, search critical match brewing uh and basically wherever the three rivers alliance the series home brewers are going that's pretty much where you're going to find me right on yeah creekside craft beers we're on um instagram and twitter uh we usually uh put on there when we're going to be serving i know the uh next one we have coming up is the oakmont beer fest they're going to do it again this year so we're looking forward to that i think leaning cask is going to be the brewery that uh gives up the brewer for the day award this year so we're looking forward to being down there okay right on well uh you know usually on this show we go to a podium and we rank a whole bunch of beers against each other can't uh, do it today can't do it on this episode i'm sorry we're breaking from format that's We've okay too many good beers <laughs> <laughs> uh it's unfair to judge so we'll just say if you want to find us on social media all you have to do is search hop nation usa and that'll get you twitter instagram and facebook and if you want to listen to brand new episodes of hop nation usa podcast every friday as you should then search Hop Nation USA on your favorite podcatcher, including Stitcher, Podbean, Google Music Play, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And if you're on any of those platforms, leave us a five-star review because... We are a six-star show, but they only let us use five. And that's a bigger crime than this show wasting all my time, so I can't drink as much beer as I wanted to. No kidding. God damn it. So, <laughs> uh, so let's stop. Yeah, let's stop the show, and then... We'll go get some beer. Yes. So thank you, Hop Nation. Uh, thank you, everybody that was on the show. Jake, Josh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out of serving. Thank you for having us. To talk yeah, thank beer. Thank you very much for having us up here. Y'all make some good beers. Uh, Hop Nation, we'll see you next week. Well, you can hear us next week. Uh, we'll see you then. Yeah. We'll be back with Dennis for Memorial Day. And that's what we're doing. Yes. 108. Bye.